Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I ask you to take your Bible and uh, join me in Isaiah 58. Uh, we will have uh, verses on the screen, but we're going to kind of walk through Isaiah 58 today. It's going to be a different type uh, message since we're walking through the whole chapter. It won't be as maybe much detail or any cute illustrations or uh, anything like that. But I, I really feel like this is where God wants us uh, on this Sunday. We spent all of December talking about the uh, thought of invasion, uh, about God invading uh, this this world. Uh, sending his son here. That idea of invasion gives us, of course, the idea of invading armies and things like that. But Webster's also, uh, dictionary also gives us a definition of uh, invasion as, as something entering into something and aggressively spreading through it and permeating through it. And that's kind of the idea I wanted you to uh, to have in mind as we talked about invasion uh, through Christmas because God sent his son into this world uh, to invade this world, uh, to uh, aggressively spread the, the gospel and, and his love and his power through this world um, and, uh, and change it. Uh, he, he came to uh, interfere with our lives. He came to interfere with, uh, with this world and we need to allow him to do that. As we've uh, talked through this series, we started out um, in Isaiah 64 uh, talking about how in light of all the um, Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, there was this uh, kind of pervasive desire for God to rend the heavens and come down. And uh, we started out the series with that. And, uh, and then we went from there to uh, talk about how he invaded this, this earth. He uh, did so uh, for the purpose of coming God in the flesh, the incarnation. That's what Christmas is about. He did so in order that we might have redemption, that he may go to the cross and be the perfect ultimate sacrifice for our sin, that through faith in him we can have everlasting life. Then we talked about invading religion because Jesus didn't come into this world just to prop up religion, the religion of men. He came into this world to totally fulfill uh, religion it, it itself. And then last week, the Sunday before Christmas, we talked about Him invading uh, our hearts. Uh, and we looked at John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave. Greatest gift that's ever been given. Uh, that's even why we have Christmas because of, of, of that. But you see, we need to understand that, that God wants to invade our hearts, not just to stay in our hearts. He, he wants to invade our hearts so He can use our lives to invade the world around us. Invading earth and invading the world may sound like two very similar things, but if you notice, I said he, he invaded earth, but, but He wants to invade our world. He, he wants to use our, our lives after He invades our hearts to impact and in, invade the world around us. And, and that's why we're going to spend time today going through uh, Isaiah 58. Uh, when we were doing our last semester of small groups, the small group that I was leading uh, did a different study. It's one that you may uh, visit the last part of our next semester called The Gospel in Life. Uh, and in that study, one of the weeks, <coughs> Timothy Keller alluded to Isaiah 58. Not in the detail that we're going to uh, look at it today, but <coughs> he, he alluded to it, and that got me looking at Isaiah 58. And, and be honest with you guys, it just really... 
really brought me to some brokenness and, 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 and broke my heart. And I hope it will do the same uh, for you today as we, as we look at Isaiah uh, 58. Because we're, we're getting ready next week, as I mentioned, to start in a series called Invasion Outflow. We've been talking about invasion, but the thought is this. God wants to flow through our lives into the world around us. And we're going to try and come up with a, a lot of things throughout the coming year uh, to you, for you to be involved with. And I hope after today uh, you'll, you'll drop any excuses that you might have as, as to why you can or cannot go out and, um, and do something uh, for Christ to try and invade the culture uh, around us because I really, really, really feel like that's what God is calling us to do, not just for this coming year, but until Jesus comes back, uh, that maybe it'll be a radical change for, uh, for, for our church. Uh, as I said, we started out in Isaiah 64. We're going to end the series here in, in Isaiah 58. So uh, I'm not going to read it all at this time. Sometimes I'll allude to it, maybe not read all of it because of time factor. But that's where we are today. Like I said, it's a little bit different type of message, but I, I, there's no doubt in my mind I'm doing exactly today what God told me to do a few weeks ago uh, on this Sunday before we launch out into uh, in- Invasion Outflow. So as you look with me in Isaiah 58, the first thought I want you to see, uh, if you're feeling along in the, in the updates, in your blanks or whatever, uh, is this. Uh, there, in verse 1 through 3, it seems to talk about what God's people thought they were supposed to be doing. Uh, the, the verses there seem to imply there's these things that they thought they ought to be doing, that they thought they, they ought to be about. Uh, look at, at verse 1 through the first part of verse 3 uh, with me. It says, cry aloud. God is telling Isaiah, cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteously and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then here's the question of the people. Well, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Well, I want you to notice about three main things in, in those verses that we just read. It appears to me that the people thought they were supposed to have religious activity. Uh, in, in verse 2, the very first part of verse 2 said this, Yet they, they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteously and did not forsake the judgment of their God. And when you read that and, and you think this thought of seeking daily, I mean, that kind of sounds like a positive thing. That sounds like a good thing. You mean they're, they're seeking God daily because some of us might think we're guilty of, of not doing that as we should. But it depends on what your motive is. <laughs> it depends on what the driving factor is for you seeking Him daily. And for God's people in that day and time, as He has Isaiah cry out to them, they're, they're missing the intent. They weren't really seeking God because they really wanted to seek God or help other people. They were kind of making it about themselves. They were delighting in God's ways. He said they seek Me daily and they delight to know my ways. Do you understand? So it's one thing to delight to know something, it's something else to do it. To delight to know God's ways and actually do God's ways. James said for us to be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. That we need to move beyond just delighting in knowing about God's ways. 
But evidently they failed to walk in God's ways because of what God said through Isaiah. He, he said, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of God. He's given this description to the people of God in that day and time. They, they, they look like they're wanting to seek after my ways. They look like they're delighting in my ways. But they're doing it in a way as though they were actually a righteous nation doing what I tell them to do. But they're doing exactly the opposite. Even though they look like they want to seek my ways and they look like they're delighting in my ways, they're not doing my ways. As I look in... The second part of verse 2 and verse 3, it seems to me that maybe the people in that day and time thought because of their religious activity, God would bless them. The, the Bible says there, they ask, God is saying, they ask of me righteous judgment. In other words, they want me to show up on their benefit, on their behalf. They, they delight to draw near to me, they delight to draw near to God. But here, they're, they're questioning me, they're saying, God, we fasted and, and it's like you don't pay any attention to us. God, God, we're going through this religious activity. We, we've humbled ourselves. We've bowed before you in sackcloth and ashes. But, it, but it's like you don't give any knowledge of what we're doing. It's as though the people are saying, God, we're being very, very religious. You ought to pay attention to that and you ought to do what we want you to do. You, you ought to respond to our request. You ought to, to bless us because of all our, our religious activity. But the truth of the matter is that very religious activity is the same reason God told Isaiah to cry out like a trumpet. Because he started that chapter saying, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Because their religious activity had all their own motives. Instead of it being a reason God ought to bless them, God tells Isaiah, because of the way they're approaching all this religious activity, because their motives are wrong, I want you to cry out like a trumpet with a loud voice and, and let them know their mistake. Let them know about their sin. They thought they were doing what they were supposed to do. But as we progress through Isaiah 58, the second thing I want you to notice today is this. I want us to take a moment and look at God's viewpoint of what they were doing. They thought they were really doing what God wanted, what would cause God to bless them, but here's God's viewpoint of that in the second part of verse 3 through verse 5. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed? And, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast in a day acceptable to the Lord? All the things they thought would gain God's attention and God's blessing, God's saying, that's not what I want you to be about. He, he, he gives them a, a clear viewpoint of what they were doing. And while it may hurt us, I'm afraid we're guilty of the same stuff in this day and time. They're, they're, they're kind of 
two, two approaches that people take to the gospel, and it's an artificial division between the two. Some churches are very, very socially minded. And they're doing all they can to, to, to meet people with their needs, but they're not necessarily telling the truth of the gospel. And then there's another approach that churches take to where they, they're telling people the truth of the gospel, but they're not meeting people's needs. And, and somehow we act like that's two versions of the gospel, but there's only one gospel. And the gospel that Jesus proclaimed did both. He told people the truth, but he also met needs. And that's just going through a religious activity, going through the motions of religion, doesn't gain God's attention or his blessing. God's viewpoint was this. He, he looked at their religious activity as really something for their own pleasure. He said, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. That they were making all of their religious activity about them instead of it really being about God or others. They, they made it about themselves. Look, look at the way it's phrased in, in the Bible. In the day of whose fast does God say that it is? In the day of your fast. In other words, it's like God saying, I don't really have anything to do with it. It's your fast and you're doing it for yourself because He said in the day of your fast, you seek whose pleasure does it say? Your own pleasure. Not, not really God's pleasure. God saw behind the mask of all their religious activity and He condemned them because of their unjust treatment of others. He goes on in, in verse 3, and, and He said this, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. As I read through this, because we can get, you know, honestly, be honest, we can get so politically motivated sometimes and listen to all the buzz points and everything like that on this news and that news or this commentator and that commentator. And the truth of the matter is, we need to be standing for what God says is just. Not a political party or a political leader or anything like that. But sometimes if we're not careful from a conservative standpoint, if we're not careful, we'll be standing for oppression and not having met to stand for oppression. God comes out against His people and He, and he says, look, you're, you're oppressing your workers. I mean, read, read the Bible. God always stands for the oppressed. God always stands for justice instead of injustice. Jesus always stood for the poor and those that were being oppressed. So God's opinion of all the religious activity was that you're just going through the motions and what you're really doing is oppressing people instead of blessing people. God saw their religious motives were... selfish to the point of arguing and fighting among themselves. Look what he says in verse 4. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Now, let me put it in context. He's not talking about the local bar. He's talking about God's people. And he's talking about them allowing such division and divisiveness and friction to enter in that even doing a religious activity like that, they made it so much about themselves that they're selfish and they're infighting so much to the point of wanting to hit each other with their fist. 
That's really sad for me to have to admit this, but I have known of churches before that actually got to the point that they were threatening to fight in the parking lot. I pastored a church one time. I followed an event like that taking place. It didn't happen when I was there. It happened two years previous to my arrival. But law enforcement actually had to be called to the church that Sunday morning because people were about to fight in the parking lot and one person even had a gun. That's a great testimony of the community, isn't it? Let's all go over there. And regrettably, our own denomination of Southern Baptists, sometimes when, when we hit the news, you know what it's been about for years? It, it's kind of died down some now because they kind of split and splintered. But for years and years, if you heard anything about Southern Baptists on national news, you know what it was? The conservatives and the liberals were fighting again. <laughs> and we were saying such lovely things about each other that the news media wanted to take it and spread it out across the world. See, if we're not careful, we'll make it all about us and what we want to the point that instead of it being helpful, it's destructive. Instead of it empowering us to reach and bless anyone, it has the very opposite effect. And he said, your, your fast only leads to quarrels and fight and hit him with a wicked fist. And then God tells them this in the second part of verse 4 and verse 5. He lets them know that their selfish religious activities would not gain His blessings. He says, fasting like yours this day will not make me pay attention to you. It will not make your voice heard on high. He even challenges what they're doing. He said, is such a fast the kind of fast that I have chosen? It doesn't meet all the obligation that I expect out of you for you just to bow your head like a reed. Is it all that I'm asking from you to go out and lay in sackcloth and ashes and act like you're repentant? Is that all that I want? Do you think that will gain my blessings? Do you think that will get my attention? That's what God's saying to them. See, Jesus kind of warned about taking approaches to our religious activities in a way that we make it about us. Look what he said in, in Matthew, in three instances in Matthew. He said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. In other words, if you're doing it to get the glory of people and the people give you honor for it, you just got your reward. He goes on, he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be... Praised by others. Don't go and blow a trumpet and say, Look at us! Look how good we are! Look what we're doing! Jesus also said this, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen of others. In other words, don't pray in such a way that makes people think, my God, did you hear that prayer? That man can really pray. We need to pray in such a way that makes people think, my God, what a God. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. In other words, they were fasting and they'd go around and look like they just couldn't hardly make it and all frowned up. And somebody'd come up and say, What's wrong with you? I'm fasting for God. 
wanting to have the opportunity to tell other people that. See, religious activity that's self-focused, that's, that's about us, is not going to get His attention and gain His blessing. The people were doing what they thought they ought to be doing. God gives them their opinion of it. And, and then the last thing I want you to see this morning, and I think the most important thing is this. God actually tells them what they should be doing. We can see in verse 6 through verse 14, God said His people should actually be doing these things. I'm not going to read all the verses. We're going to skip them. I originally had in the PowerPoint, but there's something more important we need to do at the end. I'm going to talk about the verses as we go through and read the verses as we go through instead of read all the verses together. So you know, please follow along in, in, in your Bible because I kind of need to cover this stuff fast, but it's very important. In those verses, God tells His people about the fast that He desires. They thought they were doing what God wanted them to do to get God's attention and His blessing, but they were not. God clearly told them they had missed it. Then God lets them know, this is the fast that, that I choose. This is the kind of ministry that I choose. This is the kind of service that I choose. This is the kind of worship that I choose. He says, set people free from sin's bondage. He says, you need to loose the bonds of wickedness. He said, take off the yoke of oppression. In fact, he even says to break the yoke. He says to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. He says, if you will take away the yoke from your midst, and then he'll bless them. We'll see that in a moment. The, the fast that God desires is this, not for us to go through a bunch of religious activity and go our own way without blessing someone else. God says the fast that I want is for you to feed the hungry with your bread and pour yourself out for the hungry. He said, is it, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And then he says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and then like I said, he'll go on in a moment. We'll talk about how he says he will, he'll bless them. He says, how's the homeless in your house? Bring the homeless poor into your house. Now let me stop there and just point out a little nuance that, that, that I think we need to, to focus on for a moment. It's a good positive thing when we corporately as God's people can come together and feed someone that's hungry or provide shelter for them, or anything like that. I mean, it's positive for us to do it, and we ought to do it corporately together. But you ought to also, as you live your day-to-day -day life, be sensitive and be open to seeing someone has need of food, someone has need of shelter, someone has need of ministry, and you take it upon yourself to meet that need. What I'm saying is this, you don't have to sit back and wait for the church to tell you to do it. Do you understand that? You don't have to sit back and wait for an organized event for us to do these things. He goes on. And he says the fast that I desire is for you to clothe the naked. When you see the naked, to cover him. He said the fast that I desire is for you to care for your own family. He said do not hide yourself from your own flesh. In other words, as you're doing all these other things, ministering to other people, be sure you don't leave out your own family. Don't overlook your own family. That's where it begins anyway, in the home. Don't flee from your own flesh as you try to minister to others. He says stop pointing the finger of accusation. 
If you take away the pointing of the finger, in ancient times, pointing the finger was like a formal accusation. You're filing charges against somebody like in a court of law. But here it's kind of used like, a, you know, well, it's that person's fault. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's almost used in a way of slander. See, it's awfully easy for us to point the finger. And he says, quit doing that. Instead of pointing the finger and laying blame at someone else, be engaged in doing this kind of ministry. The kind of fast that I want you to be involved with is one of not trying to be religious for your own motives, but one of blessing others. He said, stop speaking wickedness and evil. If you take away the speaking of wickedness and idle talk, and then he says, satisfy the desire of the afflicted. In other words, God says, the fast that I want from you as my people is to look for those who are afflicted and you try and meet their needs and you try and satisfy their needs. Do you see the distinction that's drawn in Isaiah 58? So I'm afraid we're a little bit like the people that God had Isaiah to cry out against because we go through our religious activity and say, God bless us because of what we've done. And God is not calling us just to religious activity. God is calling us to bless others. So in the rest of the verses out of the chapter I want to read to you, I want you to notice the blessings that God promises. First of all, 8 and the first part of verse 9. Then, in other words, if you do the fast that I want, if you're, if you're taking care of the poor, if you're feeding the hungry, if you're clothing the naked, if you're providing shelter, if you're doing all these things that I'm asking you to do, he, he says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. In other words, God will have our back. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Then you shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. Here I am." He said, Don't expect me to do it just because you're going through a bunch of religious activity, but if you'll start meeting the needs of other people, then... Verse 10, the second part of verse 10 through verse 12, Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom shall be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. In other words, God will water us, but we need to be like a spring and we water other people. We minister to other people. In your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. What has been destroyed in your life and in the lives of others. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And then verse 13 and 14, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Now don't read that wrong out of context. The Sabbath is not Sunday. And for us to apply it in this day and time, just think about it in these terms. If you'll make worship about Him. Whenever it is, if you'll make it about Him and others. And call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. In other words, then you might have some influence in this world. Some success spiritually impacting the world for me. I, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father and the mouth of the Lord has spoken. As I read this a few weeks ago, 
And actually also this past week as we ministered at the Hickory Soup Kitchen because I was talking with their director about this text. And, and he said, yeah, what you're talking about has been the pattern of the church for decades now in America. So my concern, the pattern that we've adopted as a church in America is this. We show up at church and do our religious activity thinking we're going to get the attention and the blessing of God. We show up and we do our religious activity saying, God, look at us, notice what we're doing. And then we leave and we go the whole week without touching anybody's life, without making a difference in our culture, without ministering to anybody. And then we come back the next Sunday and we go through our religious activity. God, look at what we're doing. God, we're praying, we're singing, we're doing this. God, look at us, our religious activity. And then we leave and we go another week without touching or blessing anyone's life. And then we show up again the following Sunday. If in fact you come more than two Sundays a month, I'll throw that in. <laughs> And we go through our little religious activity. God, look at us. God, you ought to notice what we're doing for you. And then we go our way and not do anything to touch or change the life of anyone for that week. This is where God's had me for several weeks now. This is why we're doing Invasion Outflow. This is why we designated so much of our Christmas offering this year for us to use in that way. And can I tell you something? That's not even a drop in the bucket probably to what we will need. Now, it's not all about money. It's about your time and your talents and your gifts and things like that. But I woke up in the middle of the night last night and couldn't go back to sleep. And I was thinking about maybe some different things we might could do to bless someone. And I thought, well, you know, if we bought you know, a gas card or something and hand them out to you guys and say, this week you go buy $10 worth of gas for someone. Just wait there at the pump and you look until you think there's a need there. You can kind of tell by the vehicle and the way they're dressed and the way they're at. Give it to them. If we have 300 people do that, how much is that? $3,000. You understand why 8000 won't do a whole lot? For us to do that kind of ministry? See, it's, it's, it's my concern that, that we come Sunday in and Sunday out and we're going through the motions of what we think ought to gain God's attention, but we're not really experiencing God's presence in our lives. And maybe we're living defeated lives, and maybe we, you know, we, we go out thinking, God, I, I just don't feel your presence, and, and God, I'm wondering why we don't make a larger impact for the kingdom of God in the world in which we live. And, and I'm afraid it might be we've been in the mode of just thinking the gospel is telling people the truth and not understanding that the gospel is telling people the truth plus meeting the needs of people. And you may come some weeks and you may think, well, I just, I don't know, I didn't enjoy the worship service that much. Maybe they didn't sing your song. Or maybe I didn't preach in the way you thought that I ought to. And you think that's the reason you're feeling the way you're feeling. And the real reason you're feeling the way you're feeling is that you come Sunday and you go a whole week and don't do anything for Jesus. And you come back Sunday and you go a whole week and you don't do anything to touch anybody's life. And just maybe you'd find fulfillment in your life if you were doing something to serve Jesus. And there's a lot that can happen around here. If you don't believe me, you can talk to Daryl about things. That he's over our volunteer ministry, things that can be done with our children. Other things that can be done here. It's not just about out there, but it is about out there also. 
says, my concern, we've been doing what we think we're supposed to be doing, and God's viewpoint of it is, nope, that's not it. You've missed my target. That's not really what I want you to be about. It's my concern that we've totally missed what God wants us to be doing. And instead of living our lives, just coming on Sunday and going through our lives without allowing God to use us to bless anyone else, just going through a bunch of religious exercises, what we really need to do is what God told His people here. We need to be feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, breaking the yoke of oppression, setting people free from wickedness, clothing the naked, at the same time, caring for your own families. Stop pointing the finger at others of accusation. Instead, recognize our own responsibility to practice justice and meet the needs of others. Instead of wasting our words and time in wickedness or idle speaking, we need to be engaged in satisfying the needs of the afflicted. God said to do that. Then He said, I'll bless you. Then He said, your light will shine forth. Your communities and your nation can be healed. Do those things, then God's righteousness will go before us. Then God will have our back. Then God will take notice of us and answer when we cry out to Him. Then we as God's people can shine like a light in darkness. Then we can be like a watered garden and also a spring of water to bless others. Then ruins can be rebuilt in our culture. We can be repairs of the breach in people's lives. Then the streets that we walk can be spiritually restored if we will make it about God and about others and not about our own pleasure. Then we can experience the delight of the Lord and He can make us ride or tread or walk on the high places of this earth. Jesus said this. He said, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and not glorify you, not say, oh, what a church, oh, what a Christian, oh, what a person, but they might glorify your Father who's in heaven. He's called us to be a city on a hill. He's invaded our lives and our hearts so we can invade the world around us. The band is not going to come out and sing an invitation. Sometimes we can hide in a song. They will do a closing song in a few moments. But my challenge to you as Day 3 Church is for you to come in just a moment and fall on your face and pray, God, make us a city on a hill. God, forgive us for going through our religious activity on Sunday and living our lives without blessing anybody and then showing up the next week and doing it all over again.
God, help us to see that just maybe what we thought we're supposed to be doing is not what you really want us to do. And call us and empower us and equip us to invade the world around us with ministry and with the power of your gospel. No music. Just God speaking to your heart. If you're willing to come pray about those things, I invite you to join me in prayer. I trust that over the next weeks and months as we begin to challenge you and place some uh, ministry opportunities before you, and you'll come up with excuses because we're good at that. I hope you'll let God point you back to Isaiah 58. And reevaluate if what you're doing is what God really wants you to do. And be willing to do what God clearly tells us to do. So we can be a, a city on a hill. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.